And I think if I would have just from one day to the next flipped a switch and tried to go there, I think I would have resented it and probably pushed back and I probably never would have achieved it. So it was a slow process of getting better each and every day. And I think it'll be a similar journey with thinking about the environment and the best way to have an impact there. This was a great exercise in terms of making me more aware of the habits that I have now. And I want to, over time, progress to a better balance than I'm currently achieving. But it's it's going to be a process probably to get there as well, the same way it was with that major lifestyle change. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you. Hear their struggles. And then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. This second episode with Vanessa Herring is long. I'm sure you saw that it was something like 90 minutes. I believe you'll find that it's worth it. Vanessa is incredibly personal, and I chose to go with a long episode on the fly because she shared the main part of it, what made it long, was that she shared what many people go through, the internal resistance, the reasons not to act and why what I'm doing is fine where it is. Maybe I don't want to do so much. What you're doing is extreme. I've heard many of these things before, and we went through it. You'll hear her reasons not to act on talking to some environmental things, but she also says reasons to act on things like diet and fitness. And so you'll see both sides of habit change from the same person. And I think that will make it more, I think you'll see in yourself both sides of these things. And if you think about acting, but haven't been acting, I think for a lot of people, this will loosen up and lower the resistance as opposed to pushing more reasons why. And I think the resistance, lowering the resistance is more effective. I also think, dare I say, that I'm opening up a bit more and speaking more naturally, more talking and less interviewing. And I'll give you a preview of her challenge that it worked in some ways, but not others. This podcast is not designed to say things are easy, only to share the experiences of people to, who take on these things. And I think it's important to hear from people who are very successful. It's not so easy for them either. And sometimes things work and sometimes they don't. But when it doesn't work, what do they do instead? I'll leave it to you to hear what Vanessa shares. I think you'll like this episode a lot, even though it's long. I recommend going all the way through. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with Vanessa Herring. Vanessa, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm very good. And I'm, I'm talking as if we haven't just been talking about really cool stuff like food and nutrition and how food affects the environment and our lives. And do we just jump right into what we were talking about before? Or I also want to know how you're how things have been going since last time. I'll give you the choice. Do you prefer to keep our conversation going or to talk about how the past, how's, how long has it been? Three weeks, a month? A month, yeah. It went by really quickly. <laughs> Which do you want to talk about first? Why don't we keep going on what we were talking about? That was actually really interesting. All right, so how did it begin? It began with, where did it begin? Uh, you were mentioning taking some of your stew over um, and maybe opening a restaurant called, you know, uh, don't go to restaurants anymore. <laughs> <laughs> should, I, should I fill in everyone, everyone else and then, sorry if it bores you to repeat? 
<laughs> no, please. Yeah. Now, okay. While we were setting up the microphones, I walked away from the microphone to turn off the pressure cooker. You said it's kind of warm out to be pressure cooking. And I said, yeah, because I want to bring some of my famous no packaging vegetable stew across town to the guy who runs Superiority Burger, which is this amazing veggie burger in Manhattan that gets amazing reviews. And he's not trying to make a beef-like thing. He's trying to make a delicious type thing. So New York Magazine, in their article on the best veggie burgers in the city, says, and my, my reading of it, it's like there's Superiority Burger and then there's everything else. And I met him when he had his book release at Strand uh, Bookstore. And then I went over one time when I was there, I said, would you come over sometime to try my famous no packaging vegetable stew? And he said, and he looked at me like, who, what, I, I don't go to random people's houses in Manhattan. And he said, but if you bring me some stew, I'll try it. And I thought, I'll do that. And so the reason I'm cooking on this hot day is that I made a, I was waiting until, I don't want to bring him one stew. I want to bring him a couple so he can, he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't like one, maybe he'll like the other. And I made a pretty good one the other day. And so I decided to cook one today to bring him two because there's still leftovers from the one before. That was the launching off point. If I, is that, did I get it about right? Yeah, I think so. And then what were you were saying about your cooking too? And you're, you yeah. Tr- so I get asked a lot where, where I like to eat out and if I've tried different uh, meat alternatives and other things, because there's so much new coming onto the market all the time in terms of like vegan cream cheese and vegan chicken McNuggets and all these different things. But I actually almost never eat at restaurants and very infrequently will buy any sort of packaged goods like that. If at all, just because I'm cooking from from whole ingredients that I'm usually getting from the market, ideally a local farmer, and then just sort of cooking them all myself. So uh, oftentimes I'm not as able to weigh in on sort of some of these other aspects of, you know, restaurants that, that might be good for vegan cuisine, et cetera. You know, you have, you can address something that I would like to get another person's response to this because people constantly say to me, oh, but I don't have time to cook, which to me mm. is like, they haven't tried cooking because mm-hmm. when you get it, it's fast. In my experience, it's much, it's significantly faster and it's cheaper and more convenient. Like it's not cooking from scratch. doesn't take longer and cost more. Not knowing how to cook takes longer and costs more. And you were in business school, which to, in my experience was one of the most busy times I've ever had. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of like anything. There's, there's the quick and easy way to do it. And there's obviously the, the more gourmet way to do it. But I think just because you can't cook doesn't mean you can't prepare your own food from, from raw ingredients. So classic example, sort of yesterday, I've gone to a workout class and was invited afterwards to go grab a slice of vegan pizza, but that doesn't really work with my fitness goals right now. So I said, all right, I know you, like you're really hungry. You want to eat something very quickly. I can put together a plate of food in less than five minutes at my place. And, you know, I've just been sort of bopping around recently from place to place. So I don't have my own sort of kitchen set up with everything I normally would have, like my pressure cooker and my rice cooker and all these different things. So I just had a couple of cans of beans, cut up some vegetables, and within less than five minutes, we had a healthy lunch. Uh, Normally, I would have cooked the beans myself with my pressure cooker, but you know, being a little temporary right now, that didn't really work out. But yeah. I'm so glad you said that because of course, I'm thinking beans from a can after, like how can someone with the pressure cooker do that? (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Normally I would never, um, but I actually just left my my beans at my last apartment or my pressure cooker at my last apartment. I'm going to get a new one this week just because it's such a such a big part of my uh, what I'm using in my kitchen almost, you know, every day. So I won't go more than one week without one. But yeah, so there's sort of definitely like the less than five minute version of making food, which can be extremely fast, especially if you are using a pressure cooker and just cooking up big batches of of legumes uh, once or twice a week. And then you're just cutting up fresh vegetables, which is what I do a lot of the time or making salads, throwing spinach in something like it. You can do that in definitely less than five minutes. But you know, today I had a little bit more time Sunday. I wanted to make a, a nicer brunch and I spent about an hour also starting from fresh local ingredients that I picked up uh, yesterday at the market, some potatoes, some peppers. And, and I made something much more extravagant because I felt like doing that on Sunday. But I've never really felt like, oh, I don't have time to prepare food because food can be prepared in less time than it takes to go stand in line and go buy food. Plus, it's a lot cheaper and get a lot more control over what you're eating, obviously. So for me, I sometimes question exactly like you're saying when people say they don't have time to to cook. It's sort of like saying you don't have time for health and fitness. Well, it's going to catch up with you at one point. You're going to, you're going to get sick and you're going to have to spend a lot more time in the end. So it's just it all comes down to priorities and optimization, I guess, and efficiency and working it into your life in a way that's sustainable. Well, you're about to break out a spreadsheet, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going from your videos. (laughs) I do like my spreadsheets. You caught me there. But (laughs) yeah, no, when when I was in my really heavy training levels, I definitely did get into very optimized sort of functional way of doing things. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I think it's always sort of possible. Would you have, before you made the shift, if that's a, uh, you know, I hope you know what I mean by that. Would you have also said that yourself? Would you have said, I don't really have time to cook. It's just easier to eat out. I think I just hadn't given it enough thought to figure out how I could do it in a way that was going to fit with my life. But nowadays there are so many alternatives. My problem was I was traveling a lot for work, which I understand is a problem a lot of people face. Then you do end up relying on buying things out. But these days, especially within America, there's so many options to have groceries delivered to you and different things like that. And especially traveling with business school. And I found, you know, different ways to do things when I was traveling, sometimes bringing my, it was actually funny. We're talking about pressure cookers because uh, leaving my pressure cooker in my last apartment, I've actually taken it. I realized on three continents with me (laughs) over the course of business school uh, and it did uh, sort of get a sentimental value at the end because, you know, that, that's one thing I did do. So when I went to Rapa Nui or, or to Cuba, I was told, like, there's not going to be a lot of opportunities for you to get vegan food over there. We can't guarantee it. So, you know, you might want to figure that out. So that, that was a big part of what I did was I'm not saying everyone should carry a pressure cooker around with them. But <laughs> if, if you sort of really have Especially a goal and a airports. priority, I've, I have gone in trouble for that in the past, admittedly. Uh, for trying to bring beans in in various different forms from cans to bags to, you know, cooked in containers. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you if you have a priority and you, that's something that, that you value, you can find a way to make it work. Uh, it might look different for different people, but I've sort of found that, you know, where, like they say, where there's a will, there's a way. I found that when I was in, in California last November, I took the train out and I stayed with a friend for a while and I just bought him a pressure cooker and, and, you know, and then we, I took him, did I tell you this? And I took him to the farmer's market near him, which he had never been to. He was like, oh, we got this great farmer's market. And I was like, let's go. And he's like, uh, okay. And he's like, what do I do here? And I, 
I'm buying like all these fresh ingredients at East Coast in November. You know, all we have is cabbage at this point, and they got tons of greens. Right. And then I made him. I showed him and his girlfriend how to make my stews. And before I got home from there, so I went through Houston and Atlanta and New Orleans. And so I, it was like several. It was like a month before I got home. He and his girlfriend had already established Sunday Stew Day, and they were making their nice. stews. Yeah, and so I like buying people. Like if I stay with someone, I'll leave them a pressure cooker. And that way I have something to use when I'm there. And if they don't have one, then now they have one. <laughs> I, I'm glad that you sort of share my passion about pressure cookers. It's very rare to find people who are as enthusiastic as I am, but it's a real game changer. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, especially at, I'm not sure what all other than the steer your diet consists of, but for me, the key source of protein in my diet is legumes, mostly coming from beans. That's just a staple of my diet. So pressure cooker is taking my cooking time down from like, you know, four or five hours and a slow cooker on the stove shop to 30 minutes, which is totally revolutionized my kitchen, really. And, and a lot of that 30 minutes, I presume yours is electronic like mine. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah. So it's 30 minutes of which a lot of that is me. I pressed a button and then come back 15 minutes later. Exactly. And I can do stuff in that time, such as. Exactly. Completely yeah, unsupervised. Do a podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, this has become an infomercial for uh, for pressure cookers, but uh, <laughs> they're so underrated, I think. Well, meanwhile, as far as I know, India, like a billion people have pressure cookers, or I mean, that's the number. You know, more than 100 million people, I think, in India have pressure cookers. Right. Or even before I found pressure cookers, I was using rice cookers, which you know you can also make lentils in, and that's what I was doing for undergrad. It's a very uh, cheap way to prepare food, but especially if you get the ones, as speaking to, you know, not having time to cook, if you get the ones that have the steamers on top, I'm usually cutting up whatever vegetables I want to eat um, and putting them in that steamer top. And again, you turn it on, you walk away, 30 minutes later, you have your food. So it's actually, the actual preparation time that that takes to prepare dinner is, you know, less than two minutes when you think about it, maybe a little longer if you're considering washing, washing that out at the end, but like, it's no time at all, really. Yeah. And yeah, I, it, you make me think of, of a little while ago, I invited my old, one of my old college sweetmates over and he saw my rice cooker and he's like, that's not the same one from college, is it? Like, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's the one you saw in 1990. <laughs> <laughs> Please and tell me it wasn't. I don't really use it anymore because the, I, well, I don't make a whole lot of rice when I actually I was using it when I first started making legumes. I, I did probably what you did. I cooked them on the stove. It was an hours. Rice cooker did it quicker, but mm -hmm. I'm okay. So I'm going to share something with you that I, when I started cooking legumes, I said legumes, I said differently. When I started making them in the rice cooker, split peas would bubble over. Like that didn't work. I had to sit there and pick up the lid and make the bubbles go right. away like every couple of minutes. But right, yeah. so when I started doing the pressure cooker, I wouldn't do uh, split peas because if that stuff bubbled over in there, there's no way I could see it. And if that, if the bubbles got into the uh, valve, then maybe it couldn't release. I, I was like worried it might explode. So plus the instruction book says never fill it more than I think a third or halfway full. And I'm filling it up to the top every time. So oh, wow. okay. every time I'd put something new in, I'd turn it on and then I'd go all the way over to the other side of the room. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and be like, and like have something in between. So that if it exploded, but then when I make the, I don't know why it would be different, but when I make the split peas, when I open it up, there's no sign of it bubbling over. So maybe the pressure keeps the bubbling down. I'm not sure, but I make a lot I've of split never, peas. I've never really thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fun listening to your somewhat parallel experience. 
and also the laughter and the joy and the fun and the looking at the pizza. It's like, it's vegan. You'll like it. I'm like, oh, geez. It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's very different. Hey, you yeah. like physics. I got this friend who's into physics. I'm like, I don't like just because they're in physics. That's just not enough to go on. I mean, I might, but it's not like I'm going to sit down and be like, hey, how do you like Schrodinger? <laughs> Yeah. Or when I'm in America, it's like, anytime someone's like, Oh, you're Canadian. I know another Canadian, you know, maybe you know them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll get along great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, we were talking also about the coffee. Well, Cause I was thinking about the, um, Oh yeah. You were saying they had a place that would make that you could buy a disposable cup or they would lend you a mug. Yeah. They wouldn't even just lend it to you. So basically I walked into this place because it was a vegan cafe and I wanted a cup of coffee. So I was walking somewhere and they said, you know, you can, you can just take this mug with you, but you don't have to pay for a disposable cup. And if you can bring it back, great. And if not, have a free mug, which, you know, I can't imagine from a business standpoint. I started thinking about it, obviously from a business standpoint. I was like, I wonder, you know, how much that's costing them and how they can possibly break even on this. If so many people are taking these ceramic mugs away with them, but they were doing that with, for all sorts of things. So it was basically a zero waste cafe or as close as they could be. So if you were to take food and purchase it there, they would just give you Tupperware that you could take. And if you bring it back, great. And if not, you know, whatever. And they didn't have any napkins. It was all sort of, uh, you know, cloths and things like that. And well, I agree that, you know, it's not somewhere I would try to go frequently because I, d- I don't go to cafes that often to purchase food again because I try to bring my own food um, as much as I can with me and uh, to bring like fruits instead of, you know, getting a muffin at a cafe or something. But I think I thought it was just interesting from an awareness standpoint uh, because it really did make me think because taking uh, buying coffee into go cups is one of the things that that I know I have to be better about. And I've sort of been conscious about for a long time. But being confronted with that at that moment, and just the option of walking down the street with a ceramic cup, it really, again, made me sort of think it through and be like, I wonder per month how many to-go cups I'm really throwing away and if that's necessary. And then from actually after that, even when I wasn't at that cafe, I started just bringing my own ceramic mug down the street because, again, I was sort of bopping around uh, different apartments and I uh, traveling and I didn't have like a thermos with me. So I had sort of fallen from, you know, using my thermos, which I thought was you know, the right thing to do, I guess. And I felt pretty good about to, to going back to using to-go cups. And then it sort of brought this alternative back into my mind of, you know, if you don't have a thermos, you could just walk down the street with a regular mug. It's totally fine. And I started doing that again. Or for the first time, I should say, because before that I was using a thermos, which is, you know, something a little bit more commonplace. And I characterized it as like drinking diet soda, which I think, I don't think if, if someone wants to, say someone wants to lose weight and they want to cut their calories and they switch to diet soda. To me, it feels like I don't see drinking diet. Diet soda is like trying to substitute something that doesn't work with right. the, with one's goals. And I, not a coffee drink, I don't really know, but I, I feel like, yes, if one uses a um, thermos, then I still feel like it's still in the system of like, hurry, hurry, hurry. And I feel like coffee is yeah. about sitting down and savoring and spending time with your friends and when people say they don't have time for it, it's like what you said before about the food. Yeah, I see what you mean. I guess I agree with you in a, sort of an idyllic state, but I guess also just in terms of where the type of lives so many of us lead, 
it's the same thing when people move towards, you know, eating more plants and things like that. Like ideally I would love if everyone would, would move to a more extreme version of sort of everything, but sort of meeting people where they are and these marginal changes. I know it's not as much as it could be, but I think there are the, those awareness benefits as well, which it's not the state that you're describing where, you know, all of us would, would have more time and just sit at a cafe and, and sort of enjoy drinking our coffee or, or things like that as opposed to rushing around with to-go cups or, or with to-go thermoses. But, you know. I felt like I was describing what you described when you said yeah. the, your friends were like, well, let's get vegan pizza. You'll like it. And you're like, it's just faster to cook it myself. And I feel like, would you describe what that as not meeting them where they were? Would you describe that as, as extreme, what you did? To me, it doesn't feel extreme, but I guess it depends what you're comparing to. So for some people, I guess it would be very extreme. Yeah, like especially with sort of the circle of people that I deal with very often, people who might cook once a month or once a week <laughs> at the most. And, and it's something like toast, you know. So from their standpoint, <laughs> going, going home and cooking a meal uh, in any situation is quite extreme. Or for, from my perspective, I cook every day. Yeah, I cook every day. That's very extreme compared to, to a lot of people that I know. So I guess it always sort of depends what you're comparing it with. Yeah, I'm trying to make it not extreme because it would have been extreme for me before. Certainly when I yeah. would go through the Doritos at the rate that I used to, then oh my. <laughs> and the food that I used to eat, I loved it. And I didn't think it was particularly unhealthy. And health, I don't know. I didn't really think much of it. But now it, I mean, from now that seems extreme. Like the amount of, like to go through a tub of ice cream in a week, and I'm sure plenty of people will go through a tub a day yeah. in, in this country. I mean, and that's their They're business. Two liters of cola. Yeah. Oof. It's amazing that people do that. I but mean, they do. I mean, yeah. yeah it's, that's normal. That's probably statistically normal because, oh yeah, here, you'll love this. My analysis of where obesity comes from, because when I go into a, a supermarket in Manhattan, I know the real estate market in Manhattan is tight. I mean, it's really expensive. Floor space, geographical, like real estate, square footage is really valuable. And when I walk into a supermarket, like the local Gerstides, the closest store to me, has a tiny little area for fresh fruits and vegetables. Yeah. And aisles and aisles of soda, aisles and aisles of cookies, aisles and aisles of potato chips. And yeah. if they were not efficient, then another store would say to the owners, we'll pay you higher rent because we can make more profit because, so I believe that they've very, they very likely optimally allocated real estate because if they didn't, someone else would buy them out and they would allocate it more optimally. And that tells me that at least now this is by profit. So the profit per potato chip bag is significantly higher than profit per uh, broccoli, but just the floor space tells me this is what is selling in this place. And now it's possible that people are buying stuff and not eating it. But when I read about food waste, the food that gets wasted is the produce, not the potato chips and the soda and the cookies. So that tells me that if anything's wasted, this is overestimating the ratio of potato chips and soda and cookies to vegetables. That's actually so fascinating. I've never thought about it that way, but it, it must be true. And yeah, I'm, I'm certain you're right that they are allocating it optimally for their own profit objectives, which have nothing to do with what will help people be healthy. Yeah, it will. It has to do with what people will consume and pay for. Mm -hmm. And there are a few assumptions along the way that could be checked. I'm, I'm not going to do that analysis, but
but some enterprising young business school student who wants to get their degree, or I guess it would be, it would be like an economics PhD student, I guess, not an MBA. And then when people say what they eat and what they don't eat, I think that that's less, I think there's more assumptions in believing them when, in what they say than in going by what gets spent money on. I think that's a more, that's more, um, the proof is in the pudding sort of. Yeah. And I'm a big believer in if you want to make a difference, one of the biggest ways you can make a difference is to vote with your dollars and where you spend your money. And it's true. If all of us were to buy more produce, you would see a larger produce section. The demand would go up. We'd be able to get probably cheaper produce. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it all goes back to supply and demand. So people talk about feeling like whether it's within the democracy, United States or in Canada, that, that they can't make a difference. But you see there has been a huge, a huge change so far. And obviously I, I would love for that to go further, but if, again, coming back to some of the meat alternatives that we were talking about, and I know you're saying that's sort of the equivalent of diet soda. And I would agree with you to a certain extent on that, but I still think it's substantial benefit as compared to, uh, to eating beef, especially when you look at the environmental impact of beef versus a sort of an equivalent, uh, you know, veggie burger or things like that. That's, that's a change that came because there was a demand for those mm-hmm. products. Yeah. And they're being purchased. And if you look at the stock price of, you know, Beyond Meat or Impossible or, or these different companies um, that are selling these, these products, they're, they're shooting through the roof and it is based on demand. So if people were to, you know, consciously decide to spend their money in ways that will, you know, benefit themselves and their own health, you would obviously see, see a change happen. And I'm, I'm excited by the change that's already happened. I know it's not maybe where, where we should be. But I think even just looking in the last 10 years, there has been a substantial movement. And I think it's only going to increase. And uh, you see this all over with different categories. Just the amount of different alternative milk that exists now is compared to 10 years ago. I think there might have been like, you know, one brand of soy milk in the store or something or almond milk. But now it's like there's so much available because of the demand. Yeah, I was, uh, I was at a food conference on like alternative meat foods. I don't, it was it was like a veggie conference. It was at the the Javits Center in New York, and I think you know Michael Greger, the nutritionfacts.org guy. Sounds familiar, the website, but I'm not familiar with him. Oh man, then I I think you'll like Dr. Michael Greger stuff. So nutritionfacts.org, I love watching his videos, and he's been on this podcast, and I met him at this event, and he's all about. There's a lot of people who go plant based, and that's where they end, and he's like whole foods plant based, and he's really into it. And he lives it. He loves it. And for him, it's all about health. And yeah. environment is like nice to have, but not his big thing, but he talks about it sometimes. Anyway, mm. so we're at this conference. And so there's a room full of all these vendors and they're all, it's almost exclusively hyper-processed, not whole foods, but all plant-based. And some, I'm very nerdy. So I have to say there was some mushroom stuff too, which is a different kingdom. And so people <laughs> said to him, someone asked him what I really wanted to ask him is, Oh, and, and he's speaking in a room that's separate from that hall. And in this room is like, it's a different vibe because he's right. whole foods plant-based. And someone says, all right, you're just whole foods plant-based and there's nothing whole foods out there. And what do you have to say about that? And he goes, well, among us, I think I don't really like that stuff, but we've got to remember you got in this country and like people's vegetable is the lettuce on a burger in a fast food joint. And yeah. my public stance is his public stance, which is, as long as there are people for whom 
the only fiber that they get is from fries, which is to say like negligible, then this stuff is, is great, a great leap forward amongst exactly. ourselves. I would not suggest to you, to the listeners, like go, like stop there. Or even I, to me, it's like, I only see it as if it works as a gateway. I like it. Yeah. I'm excited about every person who would have purchased beef or, or another animal product and, and is buying that instead. And I came across just an uh, outstanding fact uh, this week, which I hadn't found a more recent figure, but USDA a few years ago said that I think 97% of Americans were short in dietary fiber, which to me is just sort of crazy to think about, but that comes mostly from plants, obviously. And a lot of people don't eat a lot of plants and looking at these alternatives, like, as you said, you know, it's, it's not maybe ideal, but compared to what people are consuming, you know, there's obviously no or less saturated fat, there's no cholesterol. So even if that was the one switch that they made from, from a health standpoint, it would be a lot better from an environmental standpoint. I think it would also be a lot better. So I would love for people to go further and go to whole foods plant-based, but I think we're, we're a ways away from that. So I completely agree with sort of the sentiments you were describing. And I'm a huge supporter of, of anyone who's choosing those alternatives as opposed to sort of a traditional diet that we currently see in North America. Yeah. And I would, I want to point out that it's not for me about health, although I'm a big fan of eating healthy. It's Mm -hmm. not about convenience, although I'm a big fan of that. Mm -hmm. It's about how amazing people talk about hiking in the Rockies or going to a beautiful beach or a beautiful sunset or just the joy of nature, all these different ways to experience it. And Mm -hmm. every bite of food has all of that, has the potential for all of that. And Mm -hmm. I haven't, this is the first time I'm making this analogy, but I feel like fast food is like a highway or like it's a parking lot. And so eating fast, even if it's whole foods, plant-based, but without that joy is like, it's missing something amazing. And so, yeah, I guess it's like Facebook friends versus like spending time with your own children. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> Great analogy. And no one says, I don't have time for my kids. I mean, people do say that they don't have time for their kids and, and, they're, and they're, not, they're not happy when they say that. Yeah. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about food. I want to talk about fitness and lifting weights and bodybuilding too, <laughs> especially because I just saw yeah, this movie. And also, oh, sorry. And I was going to say, and also the challenge uh, that I've been participating in the last month. Uh, well, let's talk about that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, great. <laughs> right, so what was the challenge as you assigned yourself? So the challenge I assigned myself was to always turn off the light unless I'm in that room at the moment. So if I'm leaving a room, always turn off the light behind me before I leave my apartment, obviously make sure all the lights are off. And so I think, listen to you say that, I think of how many people tell me, I want to raise my awareness and then I'll act. And I have a feeling this was an awareness exercise more than anything else. That's my hunch. (laughs) It was. I became very quickly aware of how often I'm moving from room to room. That's the first (laughs) thing I became aware of. Like, I'm just not sitting still in one room a lot, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, it, it made me aware of that, but it, it was just also something I, I had to really think about. So, yeah, it made me think of a, a lot of different things that I'm doing in my life as well. And as you sort of predicted, you said, this probably won't be the only thing you changed uh, during this month. And that was true. It, it, having that level of awareness throughout the day 
made me think of other ways I could contribute as well. Yeah, so I think I used less plastic overall during the month. And, you know, like I said, I was carrying around ceramic mugs with my coffee and, and things like that, as opposed to using disposable cups. So there's a few different ways that I think I found it influencing me. Right, there's a lot there. And I want to go step by step. So what was the factual, like what happened? What were some, maybe a story or two of mm-hmm. like, what if someone saw you doing this, what would they see? So I think at the beginning, it was just hard to remind myself to always do it. So on a few occasions, I realized, oh, the light is on in two rooms right now. And then I would quickly go in and, uh, you know, turn it off in another room. But then I realized during the day that it's actually pretty bright in the apartment I was staying in. So it became more of a hassle than it was worth. So I just kept the lights off during the day and used natural light so I didn't have to worry about it. Uh (laughs) But then uh, in the evening and at the risk of sounding ridiculous, I, I realized that I, you know, I don't like the dark too much. I wouldn't say I'm afraid of the dark, but I don't enjoy it. So it became very uncomfortable for me in the evening to do this. If I wanted to go get like a a cup of water from the kitchen and then I would have to turn the light off where I was, go into the dark kitchen, turn the light on in there and then go back into the dark room. I didn't enjoy that that much. So it was harder in the evening. And overall, I'm kind of glad it's over, to be honest, which might not be what you want to hear, but I think it was a good exercise to go through it. I thought you were going to say something like in, in the evenings, I would have set a threshold. Like if I'm going to leave a room and come back in under, I don't know, some time, I'd say below that threshold, it's not worth it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm picturing, I would have been like sprinting back and forth in order to keep <laughs> my, my time out of a room with the light on minimized below the threshold. But that's me. I think what I started moving to actually was zones. Because a lot of places, like I'm not living in, in a huge house or anything like that. I'm living in, uh, generally in a small apartment. So it was sort of thinking of it eventually in a zone basis. So like the, the bedroom I was in plus the, the master bathroom that's sort of joined together. Because when I'm in that space, I'm going back and forth between the two areas, you know, constantly. So keep those two lights on as one zone. But then when I was leaving that zone to the living room turning the living room light on and then the kitchen separately. So I sort of did it like that. Uh, and then the hallway light was almost never on because you're in the hallway for like a second walking to the next room, you know, so it's just not worth it. Mm. And did, what was it like uh, emotionally? What was it? Was it fun? Was it boring? Was it annoying? Was it friendly or? It was kind of annoying to be honest. <laughs> this podcast is about bringing the actual stories, not a Disney version of it. So please share what happened. No, it, it, it was kind of annoying and it made me feel a little bit childish because it reminded me that I, how uncomfortable I am in the dark in the evening. So it made me go back to my original premise that we had discussed, which is where I was thinking to myself, you know, there's, I, I do some things really well that have a giant impact, let's say, but then there are all these little things that are happening throughout the day that I'm not doing well, like once in a while buying a to-go cup or not always remembering to bring a bag when I go shopping and ending up with a disposable plastic bag. Like those are little things that would sort of nag at me. And during this month, I tried to sort of do those things properly or sort of in the way that I wanted to do that I had been nagging at the back of my head the entire time. But then going through the exercise and realizing how much it actually annoyed me to turn the lights off and things like that. It sort of brought me back to my original premise thinking, you know, the environment doesn't really care how I'm making the impact that I'm making the impact. So if there are some big ways that I can make a big impact and there are some smaller ways that are going to really almost make me resent doing this in terms of the light, 
maybe that's not what I should focus on versus if that's something that's very easy for someone else and that's what they want to focus on. Maybe there's not one right way to do this. Maybe everyone should sort of come up with what works the best for them that will allow them to make an impact. So for example, flying less. If I were to fly less, that would have a much... I haven't done the calculations, obviously, but I, I imagine if I were to fly less and to buy less things, which generally I don't buy a lot of things, perhaps that would make a bigger impact and annoy me less than every day, especially in the evening, being conscious about always turning the lights off. Am I right that that's what happened when you said the using less plastic? Did you start shifting to different things? Yeah. So I, I was already sort of aware of not using plastic to the extent that I could. I think I just took it that step further this month um, because I was even more aware of it. So yeah, it was better about always bringing a backpack or something when I was going shopping and going to be needing to buy something, bringing my own containers and own food. So I wouldn't be you know, buying things when I was out that were going to come in single use wrapping or whatever. Um, I, again, that's something I generally do, but it just, I took that a step further. Is that part going to stick? I, it's, I don't know if you can tell. Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, because that, I didn't resent that at all. That <laughs> did bring me sort of, that did bring me sort of joy. Uh, as you were saying, you, you get joy from these things. And I like not using to-go cups. I feel bad when I buy one, you know what I mean? And, and that's, not, that's not worth it in the end. I don't want to say I'll never do it again, but I don't want to. And I, I like the feeling that I get when I'm, you know, doing something else. And I know that that's not something that I'm contributing that day. And every day that I can not have that feeling like I shouldn't be doing this and know that, that would be better for me. I feel like now you're looking at the, you're reducing your plastic use, you're reducing your to-go use. And I feel like, I think you're saying now that feels easier than it used to because I did this other thing that was kind of annoying. I'm going to let off the annoying. And now this doesn't seem as annoying anymore. Yeah, I think so. Um, I guess everything, if you look at it with a comparison, it's sort of easier to assess. Compared to how annoyed I was turning off the lights, <laughs> preparing my own coffee and bringing, bringing that in my own container doesn't seem annoying at all. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is probably not sort of what, what you're looking to hear from this. My read of it yeah. is that if one acts on one's values... If I had told you, don't turn the lights off or turn the lights off when you, when you leave the room, I think you would have been complying. You would have been like, all right, I'll, I'll do what Josh says. And then you'd be annoyed at me. But <laughs> yeah, I, I do my best in this. And this is what I teach in my leadership class. Unfortunately, Wharton hasn't hired me. So you didn't get this class. But what <laughs> I try to teach is, is what, I, what I hope that I did with you is to ask what you care about, what matters to you, and then ask you to act on that, not what I came up with for you or what I think you should value, but what you value. And so when people do something of their own, for their own reasons, then it's meaningful and purposeful. It may be annoying and they may stop it, but that purpose will find a way to keep going. Mm -hmm. I think it just does, does, uh, what it did is it makes me reflect more on, again, what it is that I value and what are things that I can incorporate in my life and feel great about. And I, I feel great about not buying a lot of new products in general. I feel great about buying things that are used or secondhand. And that's one way that I can, you know, contribute still, but in a way that will bring me joy as well. So maybe what I learned from this is a pivot in direction a little bit, but that being said, I think I'll forever be more aware of turning the lights off when I leave an apartment. And, you know, I think the zones was 
was a good sort of middle ground. Maybe I'm less strict about it in the evening when it's dark, but I think it was still a, a useful exercise. And I don't think I'll, you know, sort of leave this and, and never do anything like this again. I think it's just looking at how to redirect this in the best way that will make an impact and is also something I can sustainably do. It's sort of like trying, I would say, a diet that, you know, might annoy you and not work. It doesn't mean don't be on a diet. It's maybe find a lifestyle that, that's going to work, that's sustainable, that's going to get you the results you need to achieve. It, it's just about sort of trying different things out and, and seeing where the best middle ground is, I guess, for me. A lot of people out there say, roughly speaking, well, I can't be perfect. I can't go to zero. So I balance things the best I can. Mm. The thing is that that's what everybody, that's what I do. That's what everyone does. No one, there's no one alive who doesn't exhale carbon dioxide. And there's no one alive who doesn't, you know, heat up water to drink in the wintertime. And, you know, they might, they might not do it on the stove, but, you know, they got a water heater. And sure. so we all have, we all balance things. The point is not that everyone should be perfectly benign in everything. That's not possible. And to suggest that it is, is like, is, is like a false, uh, what do you call it? A straw man. Mm-hmm. And people look at others with a different balance and they think, well, that's, they're out of whack. But no, it's, if, in my experience, that if you're, behavior is not consistent with your values, you can just say, well, whatever, I do my best and this is where I am. But we all know that Americans compared to others in time and space and elsewhere in the world and others in time, like we pollute way more than anyone ever did. And I don't see us particularly happier. I mean, I know a lot of happy Americans, but I know a lot of happy non-Americans and I know a lot of Americans who are addicted to opiates and all that sort of stuff. And and as long as we're when we're talking fitness, there's a lot of obesity, and that seems to be a lot of like craving and and if we can you do some experiments and try to live by your values for a bit, you might not you might not totally do it for like I went for no packaging for a while, but I, I don't buy zero packaging. I, I haven't been able to work that one out, but it's way less than it was before. So everyone who says, well, it's a balance, that doesn't mean throw up your hands and stay where you are. If exactly. You yeah. Challenge yourself a bit, and then you find, oh, I like I have a new balance. And I just, in my experience, moving more and more toward the values that are more and more important. And as the headlines are clear and the fires in the Amazon and the, we all know the headlines, the closer I get to living sustainably and stewardship, I'm still balancing it just like I used to, just as everyone else does, but I'm closer to my values. I'm closer to stewardship. That was sort of the journey I went on becoming vegan and ultimately going towards whole foods, plant-based as well. I had read books on the subject and I, I knew this was something that I believed in and aligned with my values. And for about a year, I lived not aligned with that. And it did bother me internally. And I slowly progressed towards being vegan over over a year, starting with small things like not buying dairy or eggs at my house. I was already vegetarian and just having it when I was out. And then eventually I drew a line in the sand on one day and I said, this is the day from here on forward, I'm vegan fully. And I did that, but I was still eating processed foods and, uh, you know, basically some things that could be considered junk food, even though they're vegan, obviously. And then it was several years of a transition and a rebalancing to get to where I am today, which is mostly cooking my own food, whole foods, plant-based and that lifestyle. But it wasn't, and I think if I would have just from one day to the next 
flipped a switch and tried to go there, I think I would have resented it and probably pushed back and I probably never would have achieved it. So it was a slow process of getting better each and every day. And I think it'll be a similar journey with thinking about the environment and the best way to have an impact there. This was a great exercise in terms of making me more aware of the habits that I have now. And over, I want to, over time, progress to to a better balance than I'm currently achieving. But it's it's going to be a process probably to get there as well, the same way it was with that major lifestyle change. This is the leadership that I'm trying to bring to the environment that I don't hear. Like, this is what I hear. Hopefully, I hope that people listening are saying to themselves, oh, I see that it's very easy for people to say, well, she's just super fit. It's something's about her that's different than with me. And therefore it's easier for her or that's just natural for her. And I'm doing what's natural for me. And, mm. and I want people to get across. And I'm apparently very unskilled at this of like showing the flaws and so forth. Somehow people find my flaws anyway. <laughs> I thought I was <laughs> open about them, but apparently I don't share enough of like, what are the problems? Like what were the difficulties that I went through and things like that? And I want to bring people role models of actually how it happened. So if someone's like, I don't know exactly what to do, you know, I don't want to do the things that Josh says, even if you go to, if, even if the end result of as far as lights are concerned is you leave lights on all the time, then there's still, it raised awareness. And anyone who's listening and thinking, but I need awareness before acting, I hope that they hear that the acting, even if it's not in something you're going to stick with, well, that's what's going to lead you to awareness and something that you will stick with. And that will... Absolutely. Yeah, you wouldn't believe, you probably would believe how many people, you probably know from experience, I mean, of people who are like, I just need to learn a little bit more. I, I just don't have that awareness and then I'll act. Mm-hmm. And that's, action leads to awareness a million times more than awareness leads to action. I think in almost any category of things, you so often hear people say, oh, I'll act later whether it's going to the gym, whether it's doing something more environmental, spending more time with your family and friends, going for a walk, you know, starting a meditation program, whatever it is, it's it's very common for people to say, let me do this later. But it's, and I used to do that all the time with my own health and fitness goals. I'm going to start a diet tomorrow, but today I'm going to buy something, uh, you know, that's not aligned with that because, you know, I'm starting tomorrow. And Ultimately, for, for any of these things, there's no better time to start than today. And if, if you mess up, good, great. You've learned something. You can try something else. You know, I, so many times these days, uh, I'm making different decisions and it's unclear what's the right decision. But one of, I don't know who said this, but I heard this quote at some point. I was like, if you make a decision and it's the wrong decision, you can make a different decision later. And none of this is, is permanent or etched in stone. If you, if you decide, and even if you commit in a big way and tell all your friends, like, I, I'm going to be this person who turns off lights all the time now. And in a week, you decide that's not for you anymore. Great. You can do something else. Like, there's no, there's no harm in trying. Yeah. I was talking to someone today about, I was like saying, you know, if you, I just asked him, you know what would happen if you, if you tried to go for a year without flying? And he was like, Josh, trying to get the entire world to stop flying just doesn't work. I'm like, what? You went from one person to seven billion and you went from a year to forever. And I wasn't even suggesting that you do it. I was asking a question because I found the answer. If you go for a year without flying, everyone thinks of like, oh, they'll lose their job. They'll never see their mom again and all these things. What would actually happen is that they would learn how to live sustainably really quickly. They would learn how to live sustainably and they would learn how to make do. And I'm not saying that people have to do it, but they would very quickly learn to do what we all want to do. 
I, maybe not all, but I would suspect that most of the people listening to this podcast want a more sustainable world and people living a sustainable lifestyle. And they're like, how do I do it? And you're like, well, here's one way to get the answer. If you really want to get the answer, one way to do it is, here's one. With me, it's really easy not to eat junk food because there's none in the house. There you go. Yeah, it's same. And so how do you get to a state like that? Well, I got an idea. Don't buy any junk food for a long time. And your house will not have any in it. And when you're hungry and you want to get stuff, you're going to be like, well, I got fresh fruit and nuts. That's really quick to put in my mouth. And, and then mm-hmm. the way to get the answer is through ex- experience will get you an answer so much more than like reading. And people keep hearing, well, it's my responsibility to be understood, but it's like, you know what happened if you went for a year without flying? Josh, you can't get everyone in the world to stop flying. Ah! I get very much similar comments of people. Oh, not everyone can go vegan and you know, not everyone can do that. And it's like, well, I never suggested that, but you know, what if this week you tried meatless Monday and just what would happen? <laughs> what if you started doing that, you know, once a week, the, the aggregate impact of if a larger group of people would be willing to try doing that once a week, it's way more likely that you would see a large impact than, you know, the couple of people that I might be able to convince to try a vegan diet because that's, that's a harder thing to convince people to do. But I, I, it's sort of like the environment doesn't care where the impact's coming from. The animals don't care why they're not, you know, being slaughtered. It, if it's because someone's eating meat once less a week for Meatless Monday, or if it's because one person went vegan, it actually doesn't matter from the perspective of the environment and and the animals from health and wellness for that specific person and morality, maybe, but like, there's nothing to stop people from taking sort of these intermediary steps and just seeing how it goes. And that's, that's how I started with my transition. The, the last thing that I stopped doing when I went vegan was the hardest, <laughs> the hardest routine to break, which was putting uh, milk and cream in my coffee, which I used to do every day. And when I had to, to stop doing that, I actually just stopped buying coffee because it just didn't seem worth it anymore. What do you do now? Now I drink coffee again. Black? Uh, black most of the time, but sometimes also with either soy or almond milk. But most of the time just black, yeah. But it, it was, especially these routines that people are in, whatever the autopilot setting is, and that was my autopilot setting, was to order the same cup of coffee in a to-go cup uh, with double cream, double sugar in the morning. And, you know, you, you get so used to these things. There, there were just so many routines in my life that were you know, not only bad for the environment or for animals, but for my mental health, for my physical health, and just resetting all of those autopilot settings was was a long process to get me to where I am now with cooking food and things like that. So yeah, like I was one of those people who was sort of looking at healthy fit people and thinking, yeah, well, either they have better genetics or their lives are just, you know, very different than mine and set up a different way. And that was true, but I chose how I set up my life. When you think about it, whatever you, whatever you're doing is what you're choosing. And that was the case for me. I was choosing to do things that were not, were not serving my purpose. And I had to one by one, look at all those habits and make changes. So, you know, first thing, packing lunch. All right. I can be in a routine where I pack lunch. That was good. Then making my own dinner. That was the next thing. Actually eating breakfast because oftentimes I was skipping breakfast and then down to the last thing, which was you know, the milk in my coffee. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable, join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more and finding people following you without you even trying. 
That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. This is the message that I want to get across. This is, I don't really hear this message that often with the environment. You hear it on a small scale, but not on the big scale. And what I'm reading what you're talking about is like, yeah, it takes time. It takes effort. You got to get into it, but you, you do it. And then you, you don't want to go backward. You want to keep going. It's like a ratchet. It goes one way, but not the other. Once you're in those new lifestyles or routines, it, it's your default setting and you don't think about it anymore. So any transition can be hard, but when, once you're there, you know, I wake up and I make oatmeal every day. That's, that's what I do. I, I don't have to think about it. Whoa, big chef. We're not all up there yet. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, you know, it, it's just like, it takes no time and effort once you've set your life up that way. So my life right now is not set, was not set up in such a way that I was turning off lights or that I was not buying to-go cups, but those are things I can do. It's just a matter of getting to that transition and setting my life up a little bit differently. But I firmly believe, especially with those things, that, that when I do set myself up like that, that I will get joy from it. It's, it's get, just getting there. <laughs> I, that's been my experience too. And then once you get there, be prepared. People are going to say, you're extreme. And you're going to be like, what? It's just normal. And they're going to, yeah, yeah, but it's extreme. And, and then eventually they'll do it too. And the environmental stuff, the big words for me are joy and delicious and fitness is glory. That's the emotion that I've identified. It's like when I'm like, today was a weightlifting day and it was a light day, like a maintenance day. But the days when it's really hard, I know the feeling of this glory that comes with exhaustion. And especially when no one knows, I could skip it and no one would know, no one would know. And but you would know. <laughs> yeah. And that's glory. And something that's entering, I've talked to a bunch of West Point people and, and military people, and they talk a lot about honor. And I think honor is something that's stewardship and honor are words and concepts and emotions that are creeping into my thoughts on environmental action. Because honor is about doing things for others, especially when they're helpless. For sure. But I think honor is also about honoring yourself in many ways. And you are honoring yourself when you live by your values and when you feed yourself the food that will fuel your body and will give you the energy that you actually deserve. So you're doing yourself a huge amount of honor. If you say, I value myself to do these routines and to make this commitment to myself that I am going to exercise and I'm going to feel amazing and I'm going to get eight hours of sleep and I'm not going to have bags under my eyes and I'm going to have this fantastic amount of energy and I'm going to be a more joyful person for my family and friends to be around because I'm going to feel healthy and awesome. And then I can cook food for them. And it's not going to be a short-term thing that, you know, they'll, they'll feel bad about eating or regret later, or will put cholesterol in their arteries or be, you know, bad for the environment. It's going to be something awesome and delicious that I can share with them that I can feel good about feeding them because I know it's, it's fueling their bodies for them to live their best lives. So yeah, I think honor is definitely about, like you said, stewardship and honoring the planet and, and the animals on it. But I think you're also honoring yourself and saying, I am worth this time that I'm putting into myself because it does take some time to, to exercise. And uh, I, I agree with you that cooking actually saves a lot of time. So I won't say that one, but you know, you're also honoring yourself in many ways. I'm just seeing you saying this with like a bald eagle sitting on your shoulder and old glory <laughs> waving in the background. And I don't want to make be facetious. I'm kind of being, I don't want to be too playful, but it's, uh, I'm so glad that you're sharing what you're sharing because this is what I wanted to bring out. Am I missing 
I'm another place where this is out there because I feel like this is the most, well, I don't want to say the most important thing because there's a lot of other stuff that's very, very important. The science is very important. Legislation is important. I think, you know, marching is important. But this is something that I think a lot of people, they say, I should do something. Who else is doing it? And they look around and like, no one is. And they feel like it's going to be- You can be the one. Like you can be the one that people will look to and- there's nothing wrong with, with being a trailblazer on it. If you don't see anyone doing it, but you want to do it, go for it. Like, well, now but there are people doing it, so it they, to your point. <laughs> they already know that you're doing it. So they can copy you anyway, or not copy, but you know what I mean? Like they can say, Oh, well this crazy woman over there is doing it. <laughs> so I can do it too. Like, I'm not the crazy one now. I'm not the, I think a lot of people don't want to be the trailblazer and I agree, be the trailblazer if it's important. And I think a lot of people don't want to blaze a trail. And I think that they're missing role models. And that's why, that's why I'm so happy to hear what you're saying. Am, is there a place that I'm missing? Are there role models that I'm not hearing that I don't know about? Greta seems to be the big one. And- Greta, yeah. I just saw her on, I think it was The Daily Show, speaking with Trevor Noah about how she uh, didn't fly to New York, but she took some type of boat with, that was uh, you know, environmentally neutralized or something like that. I'm not sure exactly, but I, I thought that was amazing. Yeah. And so she's a role model. Now people, because I was talking to Ted, you know, the organization puts together TED Talks. And I kept telling them, you guys are flying all over the place. And I'm talking to the science curator. And he's like, well, what can we do? You know, I, I, I'd like to change things, but there's not a whole lot we can do. And I'm like, put me in touch with the people who are making these decisions. Because I think that if I want to walk them through the process of, of taking on a challenge, you know, walking through what they value. Because I think that they can solve this if they want to. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not going to happen. They're, they don't just don't. I, well, I, I don't want to say what he said. But, and then I spoke to him after Greta. And he's like, you know, they're open to it. One person, nice. one person's Good actions. Yeah. Of course, I've been doing that for a while. So somehow my actions didn't get, add up to as much. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize you were doing that too. That's awesome. Oh, I, I didn't tell you that I'm in my fourth year of not flying. I knew you were not flying, but I wasn't sure if you were taking ships places uh, in lieu of that, or if you were just sort of staying in one place or I, I wasn't sure the full extent of what you're doing. Are, are you taking ships or how are you? How are you getting to different places that are far away? So for context, I did not, when I gave myself the challenge of going for a year without flying, I did not have any long-term plans because I, I thought I wouldn't like it. And this podcast in part emerged from finding out that I liked something that I thought I wouldn't have and thinking, I don't have any special, don't like flying genes. And so I, <laughs> I think I'm just like everyone else in this regard. I just have, I've just had the experience. And, you know, I'd had something like that before when I realized more Facebook friends doesn't mean a better life. And so lay off the social media and Mm -hmm. flying and social media have a lot of craving in common. So I wanted to get that out there, but interesting. And so when I started partway through the first year, I thought, wait, this is better than I thought. This is what I would call a life improvement. Let's go for a second year. And then let's go for third year. And then I started feeling like maybe I'm never going to fly again. I did not anticipate that. I didn't like do my last goodbye, you know, like to go around the world or something like that. So, you know, am I ever going to see the Eiffel Tower again? I, you know, I've been to Paris a couple of times. I love it. It's, and, and am I going to ever going to taste Thai food in Thailand again? Because I like Thai food, but Thai food outside Thailand is not Thai food inside Thailand. And that's my favorite. Right. And I would joke around about taking sailing lessons. And the last summer I took sailing lessons and sailing lessons. I associated sailing with like Kennedys and rich people, not realizing it's really much cheaper than flying. I mean, interesting. Cause I can take the subway to the Marina 
I happen, there's one I can walk to in Manhattan and a friend of mine put me in touch with the one that he uses, which used to be in Manhattan, but now is in New Jersey, but it's right off a path train. So for people who don't know, there's a, a, the subway that goes to between Manhattan and New Jersey. And the stop is almost across the street from me. So it's very easy for me to get to the one in New Jersey. So I took lessons and I started learning. And then, so you're an athlete that I have on this podcast. If you look at the other athletes I've had, I mean, the big ones are like the Super Bowl winner, but the Olympic gold medalist was a sailor. And I met her through, and that's Anatonic Cliff Tobias. So she's an Olympic gold medalist, CrossFit Games champion. And wow. yeah, like, like the Olympic medal wasn't enough. <laughs> and <laughs> look her up online and you'll see her workouts are incredible. And that's what led me to row a marathon in February this year was her inspiration. And I met her because of Don Riley, who teaches sailing for elite sailors off in Long Island. And she won the America's Cup and competed in two others. And she put me also in touch with, the way I learned about Greta was through uh, Katie, uh, Katie Pettibone, who e- emailed me one day and was like, hey, you know, basically one of her peers, I don't think she knew the, the sailing vessel, the, the crew that invited Greta and said, Greta, we heard you wanted to go to uh, the UN conference in New York. We'll sail you there. It's a, it's a racing sailboat, so it's not comfortable. I don't know if you know, the, there was no toilet on it. There's no like real beds and the, the, the bathroom was, oh a, was literally a bucket that you then pour over, over the side. But they, they, I think, I think it was her and two people. So that meant two people, or maybe it was her and one person. So three people, it's, it's, the sailboat takes five people. And I think there were either two or three people who were doing the sailing. They weren't trying to win a race, but you know, it's a, it's a precisely tuned machine. So through Ketty Pettibone is how I learned about that. And then I think um, D Kafari was the other sailor. So these are all world-class sailors. Because I sports to me, sports and leadership to me, there's a huge overlap and motivation, and they bring out the best in me, like sailing a mar- rowing a marathon. So I anyway. So congrats on the marathon, by the way. Thanks. You know, I posted on. <laughs> we met through Reddit, so I posted on Reddit how on our rowing, the subreddit for rowing. I posted. I rode a marathon, and what I actually did was I set it up for one fifteenth of a marathon, uh, fifteen intervals with two minute breaks in between. So it wasn't nonstop, but it was three and a half hours rowing time and about four hours total time, including the rest. And some people were like, that's great. Congratulations. And some people were like, that's a terrible time. And that's too long of a break between, you know, it's like, that's too much of a break that your system, you know, I forgot exactly how they put it. Now, if you're a serious rower and most of the people there are, then yeah, my point of rowing a marathon was like, holy cow, I can row a marathon. What do you know? I'm, I, by the way, I'm 47 years old. Yeah, there are always going to be people like that. It was the same thing when I had posted photos there. You know, there were a bunch of people who were like, great, you know, you were able to achieve that fitness level on a vegan diet. And then there were some people who were like, oh, that looks like a very Photoshop photo. Like, <laughs> well, you don't win something on stage because you're Photoshopped, yeah. do you? So, yeah, you're always sort of going to be those voices of people who are, you know, just, you know, being more negative than is necessary. Well, I mean, they're in, in, if I lived in that world, then I think that would have been an appropriate response. And, you know, I would have been like, great, I'm glad you pushed me to the next level. And maybe I will do another marathon someday with one minute intervals or something like that, or one minute breaks between intervals. Anyway, the, this is all a long answer to saying I took sailing lessons to get off of North America and I was invited to a conference in Mexico and I was trying to put together sailing from Florida to Mexico. That didn't quite happen, but so I haven't been out on the open seas. I've been on, in the harbor in New York and I've been on Long Island Sound, but I haven't gotten past there. And I talked to the, to the crew 
that brought her here because I was like, can I take the boat back when you leave? And they're like, no, 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 it's full. <laughs> That's how I know it takes five people because they, they're like, oh, yeah, we, we got five for the ride back. Oh, that's so cool. I hadn't heard the specifics of, of the ship she was on. Uh, yeah, maybe later you will be able to to figure out I'm hoping sailing for- on the open seas like that. And I could see how that would be a really exciting alternative. Uh, it's something not a lot of people do. And it, it does sound, you know, like a little bit of an adventure, but I could see how it would also be fun. Well, you know, my ancestors originally got here by boat, at least on the sure, north yeah. side. <laughs> and I think it'll be the trip of a lifetime. I think that I don't feel like I'm missing what I used to get and what people get from flying because, you know, people before didn't, we didn't develop new emotions and experiences in flying. We just get some certain things from flying, but we got those things before too. Marco Polo was not an inadequate traveler, nor was John Muir or Thoreau. I mean, Walden Pond wasn't that far from wherever he lived in Boston or near Boston, but I think that the adventure that he got was greater than what today someone might get flying to the upper upper tributaries of the Amazon, except there's a difference of something like 10 tons of CO2. I'm curious, would you be open to driving long distances? Like, for example, if you had an appointment in uh, on the other coast, like LA, would, would you, instead of flying, be open to driving? Or would that also sort of be out of bounds for you? I already took the train across. I took the train to give uh, to Salt Lake City and back and then to LA and back. And okay. I would do it again, although I'm increasingly feeling like, as far as I can tell from the internet, the train is roughly a third of flying in terms of its environmental impact. Mm-hmm. And so a third of a lot is still to me a lot. Right. So I'm not opposed to it, but... Sort of on a one-off basis, trying I, to minimize that. Yeah, on a case-by-case basis, I'd consider it depending on what was over there. Because if everyone in America dropped their emissions by two-thirds to a third of what it is now, I think that would, I'd be very happy to see that happen. Of course. Uh, it depends what would happen over there. My grandmother is in her 90s, and she's in South Dakota. So I expect I have a trip to South Dakota in, in someday. But I wouldn't go there for vacation. If I wanted adventure, if I wanted culture, I would find it through challenging myself in the way probably I'm sure there's some people who will, I don't know, go to the dead sea to, for some sort of health reason. And you would go to the gym and you'd probably get more improvement to your health than they would. And if people do some stuff for health that like, Oh yeah, I was just talking to someone saying his girlfriend, who was I talking to? His girlfriend is going to India to find herself. (laughs) I am speaking a little glibly. The going to India part was there. The, the finding herself was, um, I think she's getting further from her goal. I don't know. I'm not her. I'm not sure what she's looking for. But I can take a bus to Vipassana meditation retreat in Massachusetts. And actually now there's one closer to Manhattan. And I think that Buddha would not say you have to come to India to get his teachings. You can get it anywhere. I think it's a tough one, right? Because I hear what you're saying and I agree to a certain extent. Like as a business consultant, I was taking two to three flights a week. And honestly, for that reason, I've been glad the last couple of months to do a lot less traveling just to, to, um, you know, be in Vancouver. But on the other hand, I feel like I've been enriched 
so much as a person because of the opportunities that I have had to travel the world and to go to places like India and Thailand. And, and uh, I spent time abroad in Europe and went to school in Germany for a while and worked in Frankfurt for a while. And all those experiences sort of culminated in making me who I am. And as much as I think going forward, I would consider, I already sort of have considered going on less vacations, less so from an environmental standpoint, although that is important to me, but more so just for my own mental sanity of not being so rushed around. And oftentimes if you do go on vacations to exotic places, you feel like you have to go see all these monuments and do all these things. And I feel like I'd be much more relaxed and in tune with myself, maybe being in a forest or somewhere closer by where I'm not under that type of time pressure or expectation that there are certain things I have to be doing on my vacation. But on the other hand, I feel like those experiences were so valuable to me that it's hard for me to to really say like, you know, I obviously don't regret those experiences that I had, but flying is such a contentious issue for those reasons, I think, because, you know, it obviously has a huge environmental impact. I've heard, I'm sure you've heard all of these all of these things so many times before. For, so sorry for that. But for me, it's a relatively new idea um, still that I'm, I'm thinking about. So those are sort of the thoughts and struggles that I have with it. Well, the transition that you describe in your videos of, sorry, I'm going to say it. Everyone look at her before and after pictures and then look at the video of her posing routine. <laughs> and I believe that what you're sharing in those videos is to give people the experience who are living how you did that the transition is available. And yes, it looks like you're not going to have the fudge that you used to. And it's impossible to imagine going to the gym and you think that the alarms are going to go off and everyone's going to stare at you and stuff like that. But turns out when you get there, you're not going to go, you're not going to want to go back and you're going to find it's easier than you thought. And, you know, even my mom is like, Josh, stop talking about not flying. You're going to lose everyone. You know, at most talk about laying off the air conditioning or laying off the meat, but the flying stuff, everyone loves it. You know, you're just going to lose everyone. And Hmm. um, well, Greta helped me out on that one. (laughs) Yeah. You have to go with what you believe in, honestly. Right. So yeah, it's, it's not possible for you to not talk about it. If it's something that you believe so strongly in. Well, it's also, I'm not, to me, I'm, you're not talking about something extreme when you talk, I mean, maybe Winning a fitness competition is a big deal, but to live healthier, to live the way that you live now, you don't feel like you're not sharing an extreme change. You're sharing, you can correct me if I say it wrong, but like a joyful ex- existence, like, a, and what once seemed hard is now routine. Right. That, that's what I'm sharing. So the idea of like, well, how do I replace the Eiffel Tower? That to me is like asking you, like, what if you crave bacon? First of all, I don't really crave bacon anymore. I'd be happy to see the Eiffel Tower if the, if the sailboat takes me there. But there's so much, what I've replaced it with is so much greater. And look, if, if, some, if somehow someone snapped their fingers and, and airplanes flew on magic and the atmosphere returned to pre-industrial levels of carbon dioxide, I'd be like, put me on the magic plane. Yeah. But I find my life much better the more that I accept and then celebrate things as, as best I can tell that they are than to try to, the mental gymnastics that are required to say, like, even though they say that I shouldn't do this and maybe my plane doesn't really count or maybe this plane was going to fly anyway, that it's, it's not worth it. It's kind of like what you're saying about, you know, no one's going to know if you don't lift today, but you'll know. (laughs) It's a similar exercise, I guess. It's even less than that. It's more like, I mean, I was a chubby kid. My, My oldest stepbrother used to like pick at my fat and like tease me about it. 
And Terrible. it's easy to say, there's nothing I can do about it. But I know what changed me, my physical existence, and that was diet and exercise. And it's easy for me to say, but it wouldn't work with me. Yes, that works for others, but not with me. I can't do that anymore. Can I ask you a ridiculous hypothetical though? Yeah, I've probably been asked it before. (laughs) I'm sure you've been asked it before. I'm so sorry for putting you through this again. We can stop. But if you were to be able to snap your fingers and remove all of your international experiences and you would have that benefit, that environmental benefit would be saved and would go back to the environment, but you'd have your memories of going to Thailand and eating Thai food there erased. Would you be willing to do that? I've never been asked it that way. It's always been asked as like, or it's always been posed as like, yeah, well, maybe all you're flying, you can say no more flying because you've done it. But what about people who are young and haven't done that yet? And, you know, maybe that's a necessary part of, of growing up and you're depriving them of that. So that's the way people normally put it. So I would, knowing what I know now, I would snap my fingers and, and undo it. And, but wow. I also know that I would replace it with, well, okay. See, I'm doing it based on knowing the science my understanding of the science. So that means I would have gone back and at that time chosen based on that experience. Like I wouldn't undo it and have those trips taken away for no reason. I would have chosen, I would say, if I could snap my fingers and give myself the perspective then that I have now so that I could, then I would make those choices then. And I would not have just said- I wouldn't replace the flying with sitting in a room and crying. I would replace the flying <laughs> with what I replaced it with this time, which was other stuff, other things that are equally valuable, more valuable given the state of the world. And so what I would have done was to create adventure and opportunity and things like that in other ways earlier. Awesome. Sorry, I was just curious. That, uh, that makes sense to me. It's... Yeah, it, it's because what's value, the value of travel is not the time in the plane. It's not even, it's what the experiences give to my life. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it's what, how it changes my emotional state. Ultimately, to me, how I feel is the measure of my life. And, Absolutely. And so this is, given the state of the world, as I understand it, what I've done is to make my life as optimal as possible. I can't change everything in the world, but I can do my best. And the more that I do, the better I feel. And that's, there's, I know that there's a limit of what effect what I do will have. I can't change that. But like, I don't steal not because I expect it to stop everyone in the world to stop stealing. I don't steal because I think stealing is wrong. At least me stealing is wrong. And I think polluting is wrong for, for me to pollute would be wrong too. And so whether it changes everyone else, whether it does everything else, I'm doing the best I can. And if I found out that a comet was going to destroy all life on earth tomorrow, you know, there's, there's a show, a movie or a TV show where there was like the night of the comet or something. And everyone, everyone knew that like everyone did the best they could. The, like they sent up the nuclear missiles to like try to steal the, the comet or asteroid away and nothing was going to happen. So it was going to destroy all life on earth. And it's just showing like the last couple of days and you see these like intellectual people getting together and they're like, it's the night, right? They're like, and it's kind of like almost like a Woody Allen movie. These people getting together and like, oh, glad to see you and so forth. And someone's like, hey, I scored some heroin. Want to try some? And they're like, love to. Because why would you not take heroin when we're all going to die tomorrow or it's tonight? And I think I would still not use the heroin. 
I mean, it's a new experience, but what I'm doing is maximizing. People perceive me as helping the environment maximally. And I believe that that's happening because I'm human and I'm born with empathy and compassion, whether I want it or not. I, I think I'm better with it. And I know how my behavior affects others. And therefore, there is no separation between what I'm doing with regard to how I affect the community and how I affect myself. Well, I admire the pragmatism, the consistency of value and belief fully. <laughs> because, you know, I, it does make a lot of sense what you're saying. But uh, yeah, it just shows how, that that is exactly what, what you said, which is you're doing what you believe in. And had you had the information sooner, you would have acted on it sooner because you're making decisions that are based on the information you have at hand, your, your empathy and what, what you feel is right. So there's no reason why you wouldn't have done that sooner. It was just based on, you know, new information, et cetera. So it's a very rational approach. And, you know, I respect that a lot. I think it's an emotional approach. It's a holistic approach, I, I would think. Cause I it's, see what you mean, yeah. When I started, when I gave myself the challenge to go without food packaging, I didn't have, it wasn't, it wasn't new information that led me to take on the challenge. It was looking at my garbage and I, had produ- I was producing no more garbage at that time than I had in years before. It wasn't information. It was probably more thinking of who's on the receiving end of it. It's probably more empathy and compassion. I, I, it's hard. I can't really go back to that moment in time. Uh, it's so interesting because it was clearly such a turning point. But if there was no in- new information, then that had that realization either organically or inorganically, if you saw something else, it would be so interesting if you could go back and source what it was that had that new thought come into your head that created such a big change first in your life. And now you're sharing it with so many people. I just was speaking about this this morning. I had long to an outside observer, it would have been an argument, but he and I, we've been very good friends since we took uh, a leadership class in business school together. And he's a McKinsey guy. He was um, an engagement manager, manager before he got hired away. And, he was saying how his parents, he was like, my parents didn't, they would never act on anything because they didn't know. And then he said his girlfriend was talking to them about how she doesn't eat meat and they didn't know about methane. And now that they know about methane coming from, from animals that they're cutting out, they're now considering cutting out meat. But had they not known about methane, they never would have done that. And right. for a while I was saying, it's not information because that information was available before. I was, for a while, I was saying it's community because if, if a scientist in a lab coat had told them the same thing, it probably wouldn't have affected them. And then we both realized that it was, it was not just the, it wasn't the information. Because the, the methane, it was when they saw that she was changing her behavior. They thought that, they, that she ate meat like they did. Right. Then when they learned that she was eating significantly less meat, then they said why. Then they learned the information. So the pattern was learning about someone else's behavior, then learning the reason, and then adopting the reason. My read is community having role models. And that's what this podcast is about, is creating role models, not sharing more information, although people might get information. But that's why I kept being so happy to hear the things that you said, because you were sharing your behavior, and people can hear, oh, this person who was busy as as business school students are, this person who had the four pictures, this person who won these competitions, she, she wasn't magical. She wasn't different than us. You learned some of the stuff by doing also. Right. 
I've seen people sort of do things exactly the way you're describing. It's it's weird how different motivations will work for different people, which is, uh, you know, I, I try to do both things, which is to the extent that there is information, which I think a lot of people maybe don't know, like 97% of Americans don't have sufficient dietary fiber, trying to spread that, but then also trying to do what I think is right. And if, if people view that as a new sort of uh, similarly to the example you were describing, seeing someone do it, and if that can motivate behavior, that's great as well. So similarly, people would see me in class eating lunches that I'd packed myself, which were, you know, uh, usually just beans and vegetables. And it's not new information for people that, hey, you can pack lunch. Everyone knows that. But people hadn't really thought about it. And I, a lot of people reached out to me afterwards and said like, oh, you know, I, I see you eating lunch and, and now I'm going to start packing lunch too. And I, you're eating so healthy. It makes, it makes me want to try that. And now I've lost some weight. That's great. But I've also seen uh, another example, a friend of mine who wasn't aware of sort of the research behind the health benefits of eating more plants. And I, I lent him a book on, on that subject, uh, the China study uh, by Dr. Colin Campbell. And he, you know, was a carnivore. <laughs> he ate a lot of steak all the time. And he read the book and from one day to the next just decided to go vegan because he was just a really logical, rational person who received new information and felt the need to act on it because that that was the right thing to do for him. So I guess there, there's so many different reasons why people might, might choose to act. And I'm so supportive of all of them. I think that's great. Well, I'm trying to bring to people the role model, especially from leaders. I don't hear that voice out there. And I personally, maybe I'm projecting onto others that it would have gotten me to change earlier. But I think if, I mean, he also got it from you. I don't want a second. I don't want to like, I don't need to know the details. I want to bring one thing that works. And I hope people are listening now well over, oh, we're pushing 90 minutes now <laughs> on the recording. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that means a lot of people didn't even start listening because they see how long it is. And they're like, oh, I don't want to listen to that much. Maybe I'll try to break it up into two. It. I wasn't sure if you cut things out or, or uh, how that works, but yeah. I, I'll try to put an introduction saying like the good stuff is the end <laughs> or it builds up. <laughs> I hope I don't get in trouble with the woke, the woke population out there, but I'll probably put your after pictures up and that'll get people watching. Yeah, sure. Or not watching, yeah. listening. <laughs> I am, you know, that's something I also wanted to do was to make a statement to the extent that I could with my body to, to send a message. So I'm very happy for that to be used in that way. Let the record show. She asked Josh to use her in that way. <laughs> Josh didn't say it, she did. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm playing also because uh, I saw this movie. You probably heard of The Game Changers. I don't know if you've seen it yet. I'm excited to watch it soon. Yeah, I, I think you'll like it. it I think you'll like it a lot, and uh, because you, you're living it. And uh, so let's cut off now because I, I want to talk about bodybuilding stuff. But I, hopefully, you'll pass through New York City, and we can record a new episode. Then I don't want to go too much longer because just because some people look at the time and they're not going to download it in the first place. Absolutely, yep, um, makes sense. I'd like to end with: Is there anything I didn't think to ask to put in, or uh, any direct messages for the listeners? Uh, no, really enjoyed the conversation. I think we covered a, a lot of areas. Thanks for inviting me to, to be a part of this. Vanessa, thank you very much. Thanks. Have a good one. I'm glad you reached the end. I hope you liked the conversation. I think it was realistic and really showed her for who she is. 
I hope I didn't share too much that was that you heard before. Since I have you, please let me know what brought you to the end. Should I have stopped earlier? Should I have edited some things out? I'm doing it this way partly since I'm learning in the process, but mostly because I want to make these experiences available. And I don't know where else they are. As I asked her, like, I don't know where people are getting role models, doing things and sharing the process of discovering that joy in things. And to cut some out, I think would make it different than it was. And I want people to hear what actually happened. I would value people sharing what brought them through to the end. Could I have improved it? My thinking is share it as it is, not too much editing. It might not get as many listeners, but for the listeners that it does work with, I think that they're going to get great experiences from having role models like this. So please let me know. Meanwhile, I think that many people would envy her results. She's not superhuman. On the contrary, she's every bit as human as anyone. What she did, most of us can. And I wanted to bring that out and give people a sense to listen to that. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse. And living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.